Hello, and thank you for joining the IPG Media Lab from each of our respective homes. I am your host, Scott Elcherson, and this week's episode was recorded on Wednesday, June 17th, 2020. So Adam, welcome back to another week of Floor 9. How's it going? How's the start of your summer? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's uh, going well. It's going well. It's, uh, it's a beautiful week in weather here in Brooklyn. It was. It was. But I think we should just dive into this week's news. We got a lot going on. Uh, and to start things off, uh, you know, a- Adam, Apple seems to be attracting some attention uh, in the European Union. So what's going on there? Uh, you want to break down the situation for us? Yeah. So uh, interesting timing. Uh, this has been brewing for a little while, but earlier this week, uh, the EU um, announced that they were uh, starting launching two investigations into Apple for antitrust uh, reasons. Uh, one of them is focused on Apple Pay, uh, specifically um, in you know looking at whether Apple Pay should be open to uh, third-party payment platforms, which I I don't know that it, they have a really strong uh, case for that, but that's something that the the banks in the in Europe have asked them to look into. Uh, but the other one is a little more prescient, I think, and uh, is uh, affects a lot more industries, um, and that is looking at uh, the App Store and for possible anti-competitive behaviors. Um, and this came out of the original antitrust complaint that Spotify filed uh, with the European Union Commission in March. Um, but uh, the timing is super interesting because it comes uh, right on the heels of um, the launch of this new high-profile email application called Hey, um, which you can find at hey.com, uh, H-E-Y, not <laughs> H-A-Y. Um, <laughs> and they they sort of ran into a new, uh, a new sort of wrinkle in how Apple is enforcing their rules around in-app purchases and what, what apps basically need to be using their in-app purchase system. Um, it's pretty complicated, but the, 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 the easy way to think about it is there are apps like, like Spotify or Hulu where you can subscribe on Spotify's website and you, you put your credit card number in there and then you just log into the app on your phone and, uh, your account is there obviously. And you don't have to, um, you're not, you're not paying through, uh, any of Apple's platforms and therefore Apple doesn't get a cut of any of your monthly Spotify fees. Uh, but and that, that is what Hey was trying to do. They were trying to launch a paid email service. So they, they had an iPhone app. The iPhone app requires you to pay on the website and then log in on your phone. But turns out that there is a, a new way that Apple is starting to enforce that rule that basically restricts that ability to pay on a website and then log in in an app to a very weirdly defined category of apps. So it works for Spotify and Hulu and Netflix and Dropbox. It does not work for Hey for some reason that is still a little unclear uh, to everybody. Yeah, and and what they're saying is it's because it's a consumer-facing app, which is super strange I mean, and ambiguous because I would I, I would put Netflix and Hulu as consumer apps. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which is which is kind of like a weird kind of give or take there. Yeah, it seems that the 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 definition of what it, like I, I saw the consumer thing the consumer argument that some apple uh reviewer had had said uh, i also saw a uh, an argument that it's about like the like content apps like spotify and and hulu and netflix they're fine because that con- that is you're accessing content but in this case it was unlocking functionality inside the app which is an email client so there anyway there there is some kind of new wrinkle into the in, not in the the letter of the the apple developer 
uh, guidelines and, and restrictions. That has not changed in years, but right. there is some way that has changed in the way that they're enforcing it. That um, the the creators of Hey, who already are also, by the way, the creators of uh, the project management app Basecamp, so they have a successful app in the store that's already working this way. So they had no reason to believe that Hey was going to be treated any differently. And that, that I think is why it's an interesting example of exactly the kind of anti-competitive behavior that the European Union Commission is interested in investigating. And there are many things that the complaint is looking at. One of them is this idea that Apple can force you to use their payments platform that they then take a cut from um, if you sell digital services. So Yes. And and to that point, uh, on, on Monday is uh, their annual worldwide developer conference. So we definitely expect to hear more about this there. Uh, and if they don't acknowledge it in some way, shape or form, I think that'll be very... Uh, I don't bad in bad taste. Uh, considering yeah. it's, you know it's their it's for their developers, and this is one of the biggest issues that that keep coming up. And I look at this as as again as we start to see more and more of Apple's revenue start to come from services and things of that nature. Uh, they're starting to you know really crank down on the regulations that they put in the app store to kind of squeeze it for you know as much potential revenue for them as possible and to your point like regulators might have to come in and think about this knowing just how much value uh this app store gives to the wider ecosystem like if you want customers you you need to go through the apple store and you know the hay the hay example is a good example of a rather prominent startup that's running into this right now but you know if we talk about spotify and hulu and netflix and just like there is a ton of media that runs through Apple's ecosystem. And so any changes to these rules can could vastly alter business models and profit margins and, and uh, advertising models for businesses going forward, which is why I think this is an important thing to think about. We're not just talking about you know independent software developers. We're also talking about an right. enormous media ecosystem that's worth hundreds of billions of dollars. Uh, so I think that you know even though it doesn't, there's not a, this isn't directly going to affect most of the brands we work with on a on a direct basis. It will have ripple effects uh, for the entire media ecosystem. Right. Absolutely. Um, and on that note, let's uh, wait and see what this what, what Apple has to say uh, on Monday at the Worldwide Developer Conference to see how this uh, story continues. And in other news, Walmart has partnered with e-commerce giant Shopify to expand its third-party marketplace. Uh, Adam, so at the start of this podcast, you had some uh, pretty hot takes on this on this announcement. So I will just say this. Uh, Walmart says it aims to add about 1,200 of Shopify sellers uh, this year to the Walmart marketplace. Um, what do you think about this, Adam? What is, what, is, what is your hot take on this? I mean, the, my hot take is that the prevailing narrative around this story has been, obviously, it's good for Walmart, obviously, it's good for Shopify, but that it is really bad news for Amazon. And I think what everybody is missing in in that hot take is that actually Shopify already has the same agreement with Amazon. So what is happening right Mm -hmm. now is they're basically putting Walmart on the same level as Amazon, where Shopify is now able to power both of the marketplaces for both Walmart and and Amazon. It's an amazing deal for Shopify, um, where they are really solidifying themselves as kind of the the AWS for e-commerce, where you can use Shopify and you can sell on Amazon, you can sell on Walmart, you can sell on Facebook. Remember, that was just announced uh, a couple of weeks ago. So, um, you know, it's... I just think that the 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 a lot of the media was missing the fact that this is actually Walmart catching up to Amazon with this functionality, not somehow surpassing them. 
Right, right. Uh, and I think that also goes back to our conversation with Amy Huft uh, from Shopify a few weeks back where she was saying how their new shop app is more about brand loyalty versus building a, a direct-to-consumer marketplace, essentially. Uh, and I think this kind of shows why, to your point, they're, they're really looking to be more like that back-end infrastructure as a way to have their merchants get in front of the biggest possible audience possible through great partnerships, whether that's with Amazon, Walmart, Facebook, you know, Target potentially in the future, who knows what it could be. Uh, it's a, it's amazing. The uh, sort of, I can't imagine the, the political, the politics of the boardroom meetings that Shopify has have had to navigate in getting all of these huge partners on board, but they've done an amazing job with it. And if you haven't already heard episode 65 of Floor 9, where we had Amy Huffed on uh, talking about Shopify and their new shop product, uh, I'd highly recommend going back and listening to that. Uh, it plays you know, pretty well into uh, this, this conversation. And with that, uh, we're actually going to transition into a conversation uh, with Kelsey Hunter, who is the CEO of Paloma, to really talk a bit more about uh, how retail is, is transforming and specifically um, what we see from a social commerce perspective, uh, how retail employees are kind of transitioning to be like a hybrid uh, associate, which is both in-store and online conversations and customer service, uh, and really how this all blends together uh, to kind of create a, a new omni-channel uh, retail approach and strategy. Uh, so, so Adam, are you ready to uh, dive on in and go talk to uh, Kelsey? Yeah, let's go talk to Kelsey. Well, all right. So today we have this pleasure of speaking with Kelsey Hunter, the CEO of Paloma, to talk to us about uh, the changing retail landscape. Uh, as, as we know, this is something that uh, has been greatly impacted by COVID-19 and has seen a lot of rapid um, acceleration. So, uh, Kelsey, welcome welcome to the show. Well, welcome to Floor 9. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. Uh, we are super excited uh, for you to be here. Um, so, Adam, uh, before we dive into this conversation with Kelsey, uh, can you just set the stage for us? I mean, what, is, what is this challenge that we are uh, kind of thinking about today uh, and why we, we brought on Kelsey to help talk through this conversation? I mean, I think as with everything else, uh, COVID has been an accelerator of trends in retail. And uh, one of those trends was a, a shift, a sudden needed shift from brick and mortar retail to online retail. <laughs> um, that's caused, caused all kinds of interesting developments and, and shockwaves throughout the industry. And so I think, you know, it's great to have Kelsey here to uh, talk to us about Paloma and, um, you know, some of the ways that uh, that brands can can more innovative ways that brands can be selling online these days um, since, uh, you know, for the past few months, mm -hmm. that's pretty much been the only sales channel. And now, even as things are starting to open up again, I think there's still uh, going to be a lot of consumer behavior that is rooted in e-commerce um, and uh, whether that is, you know, pure e-commerce or more of an omni-channel strategy. Absolutely. And so uh, with that, Kelsey, how would you give us a little background on Paloma and how it works and exactly uh, what this uh, really tasty solution is? Because isn't Paloma a drink? Uh, a delicious drink. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So basically, Paloma is here to help brands turn Facebook Messenger into a sales channel. We see it okay. as essentially the next storefront. So you've got in-store, you've got websites, now you have messaging channels. Um, and basically what we do is partner with uh, e-com and retail businesses like Joybird, Mack Weldon, Care-of. Um, we help them essentially create this hyper-personalized shopping experience online that merges the quality of what you might get in store with the scalability mm -hmm. and convenience of what you might get in other channels. So that's the 
the quick overview on what we are. <laughs> My first question as we're, you know, exploring this solution. Um, so have you been seeing like a real increase in usage over these past few months? And then I guess really what has the interest from brands been as we've been navigating this this quarantine? Yeah. So essentially what, what we're seeing online, if, if we start by just looking at the online uh, landscape outside of what's happening right now, when customers shop online, uh, a website is basically a catalog and a point of sale. It's where people are transacting, but it's not where they make their decision when they're shopping online, which is why social commerce has become so popular because people make decisions by uh, talking to friends, by looking at what influencers are doing. Uh, they see Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest ads, you name it, uh, YouTube videos. So there's all these other third-party channels where customers are figuring out what they're going to buy and from who. Um, and the brand isn't really part of that experience. So what's really interesting about what's happening now and the shift that's going on is that because retailers are being forced to come online, they're now trying to figure out how to bring what was their in-store experience online. And they're seeing that those are all the ways the customers are shopping and trying to navigate it. So in terms of, you know, what the changes have been and what the growth has been the past few months, obviously consumer uh, you know, consumer engagement online has dramatically increased. Consumer shopping online has increased. Um, and both e-com and retailers are seeing the benefits from that and trying to figure out how to best support it. So if you're an e-com brand, traditionally, you're now dealing with more competition, um, a broader audience that maybe you didn't have access to before, and trying to figure out how to give the best quality experience that you can to help uh, convert as many people as you can. Whereas if you're a retailer, you're trying to figure out, okay, well, you know, I have customers that still want to shop, but they can't come in and I can't help them shop. So how am I going to do that online? And again, social is, is a, you know, a, a pretty seamless channel to do that. Messaging specifically is something that, you know, comes really naturally if you think about what they're, how they're used to interacting one-to-one -one with customers. So yeah, the short answer, we've seen a, a pretty big swing from the consumer side. From the brand side, we're getting a lot more interest and questions about, you know, how do we make this possible? How do we bring in-store online? How do we compete? How do we provide a better, you know, shopping experience? So one of the things that, that Paloma is doing is you're, you guys are using Facebook Messenger to provide some of those one-on-one -on -one personalized recommendations, right? Like that, that's a core part of your offering. Yes. Um, how do you... How do you think about that? Do you think about it as a recommendation engine or is it uh, more like a virtual sales associate? Yeah, uh, <laughs> this is, the annoying answer is, is all of the above. Um, <laughs> so ultimately, if, if Messenger is the next storefront, then it should, you know, it should be the, the best possible combination of, of how you would shop anywhere else. So that's really what we're trying to produce here. And some, some great examples of that, you know, we've got a partner, Lalo who sells a high chair for kids and a stroller for, for, for children. And, you know, those are individual products. They don't have a, a huge set of SKUs. Um, but what's interesting is, you know, they, they do have a in-store showroom, but they also, you know, are a D2C brand online. And what's interesting about an experience with them is we don't need to help a customer figure out which product to buy. They know they want a high chair. They know they need a stroller, but they need mm -hmm. to understand why that product is the right fit for their family or why they should be buying from Lalo instead of somebody else. 
So there's an education process along the way to help essentially, you know, I want to understand about you so that I can help tell you why this product is a good fit for you. Um, you know, on the flip side, we've got partners like Mac Walden that have a range of materials and styles, and you want to figure out which of those are going to be the right product for you. So it can really vary depending on, you know, the brand, on the product set. Um, but at the end of the day, does a customer feel like they're ready to buy? And that's where, you know, our core metric is conversion rates. And across the board, we see about a two to 10 X increase in conversion rates for our partners driving traffic into Messenger as opposed to driving traffic to a website. So, you know, at the end of the day, is a customer ready to buy? That's what we're, we're here to help them do. Are there any other parts of the in-store experience that you're trying to bring online? Like, obviously, we have some, you know, conversation going. We have some, you know, some recommendations and, and, and product selling. But, like, are there any other parts of that in-store experience that at Paloma you're, you're looking to digitize in some way, shape, or form? Yeah, that's a great question. So if you think about the in-store shopping experience, there's also a social component to it. Oftentimes, you're bringing a friend you know, maybe a family member, um, you're asking for their opinion. Does this look good? Do you like this design? Um, you know, what do you think about this? Uh, or if you're by yourself, you're, you might also be interacting with other shoppers in the store who might be able to say, oh, I bought that last week and I love it. Um, so there's this component that happens in store where you are interacting with other people, not just the sales associate. And what does that look like in social commerce uh, today? Um, there's still some some you know missing functionality within messaging specifically, but there's very clear opportunity there, and it's something that we get asked about a lot. So uh, I think that there's there's a lot of opportunity when it comes to how those interactions play out within within social commerce. Yeah, I think that this idea of recreating that social element of shopping is something that we have been watching for a long time and sort of been waiting for. It's something that I don't think is, um, at least here in, in the U.S., is not really catching on yet because it's not quite uh, sort of built into into these platforms. And you kind of need that natively built into some of these platforms to really do it. Do you, how do you see that developing? I, I mean, you, you just spoke about some of the, the tools that you guys are working on, but how do you see that developing um, in the next few years and, and be, sort of bringing that more, you know, let's go, let's go to the mall, let's go down to Soho, let's go, you know, shopping together kind of, of feel to online shopping? Yeah, so I have a, a couple of thoughts on this. One, within messaging specifically, uh, Facebook Messenger actually started with a functionality for sharing that was deprecated a little while back. And I think that, you know, there are a lot of different use cases for sharing that could be focused in on a bit more. So something I'm excited about is to see how you know, the Facebook team and the Messenger team can continue to iterate on that. It's one of the most commonly requested features that we get for more of the up and coming brands. So, you know, the forward thinking brands that are saying we're trying to build community. Um, if you look at a lot of new brands, what they'll do is they'll open up by selling in Facebook groups. Um, and, you know, Facebook groups are such a, a clear indicator of, of a market opportunity, right? So I think if they can, if and, and now there's the opening up of, of rooms within Facebook groups. And so I think that there's going to be a lot of, um, of progression within that kind of side of the social sphere. And I think that messaging is going to be a very natural part of that. Uh, right now, you can only directly message with just a brand. Uh, there are some limitations to functionality that you would normally have with another user. So I think that's going to be something interesting that I expect the Facebook team to probably pick up on a little bit more. Um, that's something that we would, we, you know, are really excited to be able to support is, 
you know, if I'm looking at an ad on Instagram, I get excited about it. I'm going to DM it to a friend. Um, so how do, how do you kind of recreate that to help have the brand involved with that? Again, how do you put the brand in the conversation? How does the brand support a customer making a decision? Whether it's, hey, you've got a friend who bought this recently or who saw this ad as well. Talk to them about it. Or, you know, uh, hey, why don't you chat, chat with one of our influencers who recently purchased this? Um, so I think that there's, there's some really interesting things that could come out of that uh, opportunity. Um, outside of messaging altogether, I think that there's room for a, a sort of social commerce play that more broadly offers customers an opportunity to to showcase what they're buying, what they like, what their reviews are in a broader format where they can invite people to engage in that kind of way. If I'm ordering from a from a food you know, subscription, I want to be able to share with my friends not just the you know, promo offer so that I get $40 off my next order. I also want to show the meals that I like, you know, so I think that there's, it's sort of like a, a combination between social commerce and this micro influencer kind of um, a, a thing that I think will will merge eventually. And, and chat is an inherent part of any kind of social engagement. It's something that everybody does has been doing since the internet existed. So um, I think there's going to be a lot of growth there. I really love that idea of having a conversation with your friend or friends and then inviting in the brand or the retailer or the influencer or whoever is sort of part of of what you're looking at um, to participate in that conversation. That's something that we've been, had thought about a lot about when Messenger and and their, their, their chatbot platform first launched years ago. And we didn't really see a lot of movement in that, but I think in, in shopping, it makes a ton of sense because it's just like you're, you're in a store, you're looking at stuff with your friends and then you ask a sales associate for more things that look like this, or, Oh, do you have this in this other size or this other color? Like it, it just seems supernatural in a shopping context. I wonder if that's where like live video and like live streaming of shopping content comes into play because I've been sitting here thinking and honestly my view I guess on all these solutions kind of like you know like Ploma is very much focused on like the transaction right it's all meant to drive a final sale transaction and bring in a lead that's very much looking to transact but you know there aren't that many platforms that are just focused on like that community and conversation around like that shopping experience right like you know through an influencer and through like a live chat channel, that's where like that community and conversation could be. And then maybe it drives you to a more transactional experience. Cause obviously like live video and live shopping is uh, big in China and Asia. Uh, there are a few startups here, like shop shops that are doing that kind of same thing where they you know send an influencer to let's say like a coach store and they just try on the, the entire summer collection. And then they, people in chat can kind of like have conversations, ask the influencer to pick different clothes to try on, to talk about it. So I was kind of thinking, it was like maybe that like live video experience is is more like that discovery shopping experience for like the online part of the shopping experience that is currently missing. Uh, that's not so transactionable. I mean, wait, what do you like, what do you guys think? Yeah, so I have I have two thoughts. One, when it comes to you know the transactional component where the customer is in the life cycle. One of the reasons we like messaging is because not only is it a place where you can start the conversation, you can start getting the customer acquainted with your products, help them make a decision and you know help them buy. It's also a direct marketing channel that can be reused. So if somebody comes in top of funnel and they don't make a decision yet, you can remarket to them at a very low cost by just pushing messages back out to them directly. So what's interesting about that is it becomes a full funnel marketing channel in a way that you know, your website can't, or, you know, a video experience can't. 
So I think that that's one of the reasons we're really big on that being a full funnel kind of, you know, new, new storefront. But when it comes to video, I think to your point, that's a great kind of, uh, you know, the com- camaraderie, the engagement is so much higher. There's a lot of like relationship building that can happen in that both group and kind of direct setting that happens. Um, I don't know if, if you guys had this experience, but when I was younger, uh, you know, you're hanging out with friends and you stayed up very late, you'd end up watching the knife show. Did you ever do that? It's, it was uh, like a like yeah. a QVC knife show. It was just no, you know. I don't I don't think I had QVC to be totally. It's like we like had like the most basic cable package available. Uh, yeah, and it was like just reruns I, of cartoons if if we were lucky. Yeah, I'm. I I think when I was in my late teens, this was like a, or like in college, you know, you'd be up late drinking with friends and you'd end up watching the knife show. I don't know if this was strictly a Virginia <laughs> thing to do, um, but it, you know, it's just knives cutting weird things and it was absolutely hysterical and it was kind of a meme at the time. Um, right. <laughs> so that I feel like there's a very natural progression of that within social now. And like you said, there are so many apps and startups working on this. There's down to shop, there's D to C live, there's um, lots of kind of, you know, startups working in that space. Right. And I, it does even, combine even big that companies kind of like, like Amazon has yeah. tried and failed like three times now for, <laughs> for, for, for live shopping. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the thing that I take away from, from video shopping and shoppable video, whether, whether it's live or not is, is actually very similar to what Paloma is doing. And is just that basically every media surface is becoming shoppable in some way. And I don't think that that, that necessarily means that it's all lower funnel. I think what, what everybody's trying to do is just collapse that funnel so that you can go from your moment of inspiration to the moment of purchase in whatever channel that you're in as fast as possible. Um, and I, I think that that is, that's basically what, what you guys are doing in, in messaging right now and in, in the future and in other areas as well. So now that brick and mortar stores are starting to reopen, you know, how do you see Paloma fitting into this larger omnichannel retail strategy? Well, we know that e-com is going to continue to boom even past the situation. It's very comparable to what happened in China post SARS. Uh, retailers are going to continue to try to find ways to mitigate the risk of, of what they've just been through. So, you know, e-com is just going to continue to grow. Um, and in, in that kind of sense, what retailers have as an advantage is that, is that their sales associates have an immense amount of knowledge when it comes to, uh, you know, bringing that online experience um, together. If you think about like the conversations they have with customers regularly, they have the most knowledge about how to sell to them. That's all information that you can use to inform any any channel experience. And I think that's something that I hope retailers take advantage of, um, both in supporting those sales associates, uh, but also supporting those channel experiences for customers. Um, and that's where we're, we're also excited to bridge the gap. So all of that information can help inform an automated you know, personal shopping experience, but we can actually very quickly test, iterate on, and learn about customers by using the messaging funnel. So you know, it, it can take several months. I'm sure you guys know how long it can take to build tests for, for web shopping experiences. Uh, building websites, creating A-B tests is really hard. We launched experiences in you know one to two weeks sometimes, and um, we're able to very quickly see where customers are dropping off, what they're asking for that can help inform you know product development as well as, again, how do you sell to that customer and take all that data to inform Omnichannel. So you know a lot of times our partners will use Paloma as a way of testing a quiz that they were going to put on their website, but we can get it live more quickly 
get really detailed data and performance analytics on it. And then you can launch online because you know what's going to work. So I'm really excited to see brands continue to take advantage of that. Yeah. So one thing that we have uh, been talking with uh, a lot of folks about um, uh, under quarantine was the rise of virtual goods. Um, which went from this nerdy thing that only gamers cared about, you know, things like Fortnite skins and, uh, uh, you know, Animal Crossing uh, decorations. Uh, but it went, from, it went from that, like, very gaming ecosystem to uh, something that was suddenly, I think, quite mainstream and that quite a lot of brands are starting to think about, um, you know, suddenly as we've been uh, as part of this shift to uh, e-commerce. Um, do you guys... Do you or, or Paloma, do you have any thoughts about how virtual goods might start coexisting uh, alongside physical goods going forward? Yeah, that's, I think that's a very interesting question. A very good friend of mine runs a company called Super Rare, which is a digital art marketplace. Um, not sure if you've seen it, but it's one of those, it's, you know, it's on, it's on the blockchain. <laughs> um, oh, and it's, it's I love it. Very, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, now that we're talking, it's not a podcast if we don't mention blockchain, right? So, I was, yeah, absolutely <laughs> not. So, you know, it's it's been really, really interesting to see how that develops in a broader audience in a way that some of those other more niche categories um, haven't. But, you know, I think that historically it's been a niche category. I think we're seeing it expanding. I think that there have been some hints at opportunity for the bridging with physical uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Electric Objects was a company that sold a, basically a digital frame um, where you could, you know, use your own art or buy art and uh, display it on this digital frame. And I think that there's, you know, it was a shame when when that company went down. I I think there's still great opportunity for that, and I think that I'm interested to see how that continues to play out um, with you know anything in the wearable space. I think there's just the combination of like the mechanics for how how things get displayed is something that it needs to look really good, right? So um, that's you know when it comes to visual, you know, digital objects, physical objects, like aesthetic is really important, um, and I think that's where digital has become so good at making things look really good, and so I'm excited to see how the worlds kind of combine, but. In particular, these digital art marketplaces to me are one of the best ways of observing this space because it is it is more about like high art, right? And it's it's investment pieces. It's, yeah, well, yeah. You know, there are some like that, that are going for like eight hundred dollars on the on the front page here, which is which yeah. is pretty impressive. Am I? What do you do with it? Like, where do you <laughs> display it? Like, do you guys make it like 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 my desktop background? I feel, I feel like because it's like half the half the reason why people I feel like like they get art is to make like a statement on a wall right I, I have this you know yeah. sweet blue triangle behind me that's like oh it's making a statement like if I need to make a statement with digital art like where do I do that like on social media do I put like a like like a 50 inch plasma tv into my wall so I can make that like a digital frame like where do you where, where do you where do you put this stuff I think that's yeah. the, for me the piece that's missing um I don't know Adam what do you think yeah, I mean that that that's why electric objects I think was a good solution because it did have the display portion nailed down. Um, I've got an electric objects a decommissioned electric oh. objects display in my living room still. <laughs> so maybe I should buy some art on Super Rare to put on my yeah. my old. Yeah, you know, there you go. Yeah, and I, I think I think that that's a really good point. Is that you need a way to display it physically, but you know online. 
with something like Super Rare, you can have your own personal gallery basically and show off what you own. Um, so I think that there's some some things like that will be interesting in the same way that I think about like I want to be able to sh- show off the things that you know the, the things that I'm buying and that I like and my you know personal opinion of them. I think the same applies to digital art as well. Um, so I think I think that that's a piece of it. Well, great. So uh, with that, uh, Kelsey, thank you so much for joining us uh, on Floor 9 this week uh, for another fantastic conversation about uh, really how uh, retail uh, is continuing to change uh, at an ever rapid pace. Um, so thank you. Uh, and everybody else, we'll, uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Adam. It's been great. <laughs> Well, listeners, that about wraps up this week's episode of Floor 9. So uh, as always, feel free to reach out to myself or Adam on Twitter. I am at T-I-P-P-I-E-R. Adam is at Adam J. Simon. Uh, And let us know if you have any questions or feedback. You know, what are your thoughts on Apple and antitrust uh, and the future of retail? We'd love to hear from you all. So thank you. And we'll talk next week. (music) 